Welcome to Deconstructing Damsels. This episode will feature my fiance Sven as we talk about Temptations of a Wallflower. It will also discuss Paul Bunyan's dick, because why not? Features an amazing podcast, mentions a whole lot more, and authors galore. So enjoy the ride, guys. I am with my fiance Sven. Hello. And we are going to discuss Temptations of a Wallflower by Eva Lee. And it was his first romance book. <laughs> and it was an erotic historical at that. So go to me. But this is what happens when an audiobook is free and we can both kind of listen to it in our own way. What did you think of the audiobook? Oh, I think it was actually a. It's, I'm going to use a silly word here. I think it was a solid read, and it had a lot of potential. Uh, but it only lived up to part of its potential. But I, I would still recommend it. I think. Would you recommend the the narrator or like the actual book? Uh, both, I believe. The narrator. Uh, I actually looked it up for a photo show. Eva Christensen uh, was very very good at her job and did a very good job of um, separating the narrator and uh, the character voices, which definitely uh, helped the book in some ways. I definitely think so, too, because I think that it kind of added a little bit more dimension to the male character a lot, which made me not like him because I couldn't stand him, but it made me understand him a little bit better. Definitely, yeah. Because it kind of got into his head and gave him a voice. Mm -hmm. Which is... Which actually, I guess, brings us already to one of the shortcomings of the book. Yes. In that... Or would you like to go first? No, you go, baby. You go. Okay. I felt that some of the characterizations and uh, character motivations were a little bit underdeveloped. And I feel like that's uh, especially a problematic for the uh, male protagonist, considering that the vast majority of readers uh, are going to be women who are supposed to uh, sympathize with the female protagonist and her desire for the male protagonist. Yeah, I agree with that one entirely. Because, okay, to start off with what the book is about, because we do everything backwards here, The uh, Temptations of a Wallflower is about Lady Sarah Frampton, and she's an erotic romance writer, which I actually have research on, which you can find on the blog at damselspodcast.wordpress.com. And I bring that up because the, the French books, as they call them, were very kind of erotic literature. And this was right before the Victorian era, so it wasn't as frowned upon as much. And I enjoyed the fact that she was a writer, and I loved the fact that she did all this research. Like, she was constantly reading books about all different stuff to put in her book, which reads very true. Because if you're ever in Romance Landia on Twitter, you will know, and just like Sven knows, because I constantly retweet authors on the mm -hmm. Damsels podcast. You know, research is a very foundation of, of what we read and what we write. And I liked Lady Sarah so much more than I liked Jeremy Cleveland, Cleveland the uh, hero of the novel, the protag's love interest. I, I couldn't stand him, to be honest. I felt like he was a solid 90% mm -hmm. suck. Because he was always talking over her. He was always like, oh, she's so fragile. She's a lady. She can't do this. 
And then when, you know, the, the mystery is revealed, you know, he's like, oh, I can't stand her. She's like this. And I'm like, okay, but you were sleeping with her two minutes ago. Did you not figure out A to B in that time period or at all? It just, it, it, it was very much, as you said, a shortcoming. And I wish it hadn't have been, but it definitely was, I think. And it's all the more baffling if you consider the fact that the book actually opens on him. And that he's almost more of a point of view character than the female protagonist, which is very unusual for the, for the genre, I believe. Yeah, it kind of is. And, well, let me phrase that. No, it's not. Um, I was wrong about that when you asked about it when we were reading this, actually. A lot of times you'll see two different, you'll see two different points of view. Like, I just got done reading uh, Tempest by Beverly Jenkins, and in that, it's mostly Reagan Carmichael's point of view, but you also see Colton Lee, who is her, her um, love interest and also the town doctor. You see his point of view quite a bit often, too. So it's not that unusual. But it's unusual to have them be so bare of any kind of beyond, like, the moralizing character. Like, he, he doesn't have a lot of nuance. He doesn't have a lot of things that you need him to have mm-hmm. and things that don't really work when you have such an amazingly awesome, you know, female protag like Sarah who... Mm-hmm doesn't apologize for the fact that like she likes to write this. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with women wanting to have this. Because, you know, it's it's like it's always pointed out. Women are expected to be virgins, but yet men are supposed to go wild. There's their oats. So, where? Yeah. Like, do you think exactly. there's magically a pussy that appears somewhere? So, it, it's, you know, it. I just wanted someone better for her because I think she deserved it. And I think she deserved a better support system because basically mm-hmm. throughout the book she had none. Mm-hmm. I mean, like literally there was like the last, the, the few friends she had came up at like the last like, you know, what, 30 pages of the book or it whatever bad. it would be since it was audiobook, so I'm not quite sure how far it was, but I, I just couldn't, yeah. I just couldn't to be honest. I believe it was literally the next to last chapter or the last chapter if you don't count the epilogue. Yeah, I think so too. It was like right around there because she was talking. Well, she was talking about leaving him, and she left him. So maybe a little bit before that, but mm. like, she just she had no support system. And you mm. know me in this podcast. Like to me, a, a circle of women is integral if you're writing for women mm-hmm. because, in general, we have friends, we have family, we have stuff like that. Yeah. And Sarah had none of that. She had an overbearing father, an overbearing mother who kicked her out when she went and got married without their permission, even though she married the third son of an earl. So it's not like she was marrying, like, the chimney sweep here. <laughs> like, he was going to get something out of this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she's a duke's daughter and blah, blah, blah. And so it was just, it was, it felt a little bit patchworky. Do you think so? Oh, yeah. And I think uh, that the uh, lack of a support system could have been a theme throughout the book, and it seems in the first two or three chapters that it would be, but it almost feels like the writer forgot about that all the way through until the until the end. Yeah, I got that feeling too, because that was like, I think the first couple of chapters is the one about the, the scene and the erotic art, right? When the friends, you know, when her mother makes her go with these people that don't like her to this thing, and they think, oh, they're going to shock her, and instead, like, the preacher shows up because Jeremy is also a minister. 
his father bought him a little clergy mm-hmm. section because his father wanted one. And it... Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I think the art exhibition part came in a little bit later on, but uh, it was near the, near the beginning. And yeah, I think the opening scene for her was uh, a social gathering where where it was explicitly pointed out that she's a wallflower and she, that she doesn't have any friends and that she's also undesirable, not that the cover of the book would indicate that. And I'm, I'm like, okay, this is going to be our theme. She's going to find a circle of friends or she's going to overcome it in some way and then there's nothing. Definitely a letdown. Like it, and, you know, like you said, the, the, the two friends that she's got, the, the other wicked... The wicked people, the other wicked authors and, like, you know, journalist, tabloid reporter, stuff like that. Like, you don't, you don't really get to know them. You're expecting to know them from previous books, but for people like us who came into the middle of it, there wasn't any real, Mm. there wasn't any real, like, conversation about it until they kind of gathered together. Mm -hmm. Because, like, Jeremy went to his cousin who's married to the playwright, but there was no... (laughs) There was no, like, observation about any of this. Like, they went to how many balls? They could have at least had, like, some interaction at the ball or something. Yeah. But there was none of that connection. And I could be wrong, but I I feel like the, the those two uh, friends at the end actually uh, were not even her friends before. It seems more like she was barely acquainted with them and only really got to know them and what they're doing in that very chapter. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Because it's like... I guess Jeremy brought them to, to visit her or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's just like this is a woman that was writing erotic fiction as a virgin, mm-hmm. you know, virgin who can't drive, but she's still writing amazing fiction where she gets a lot of resources. Like she reads sex books, you know, she reads how to tie knots because you know if they're going to tie them up, you got to know how to do it. You can't just you know wing that off. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was nothing like there was not one single person in all of her world that was there for her, yeah. which drove me more than a little batty mm-hmm. because it also kind of forced her mother into this role of overbearing, you know, mama, which is a trope within the genre, by the way, which you wouldn't know, but it's a trope. <laughs> and so it's very common to have like a matchmaking mama or an overbearing mama, dragon lady, whatever you want to call them. But like, it had been six months by the end of the book and they still weren't talking to her. Mm. Like, okay, you have sons who probably are really fucked up in the head because most <laughs> Duke's sons are in these books. And you've got a daughter who you don't even know is writing this fiction. And then, but that's another thing that got to me. So, okay, to start with the plot of this book. Sorry, y'all. But these were things that kind of have to be talked about before you start with the plot of this book. So in the plot of the book, Jeremy is tasked by his father to find out who's writing this erotic fiction, the lady of dubious quality. And it's because, you know, these books are just bad. You know, they they incite ideas into women to enjoy sex, the very ideas. The humanity. Yeah, none of it. But the idea is very, like, and so he's tasked with finding this and instead he runs into Lady Sarah he doesn't know about her past blah 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 and so they end up getting married because they they found that it's a love match and then 
Jeremy finds out that she's the lady of dubious quality and he pushes her away. And I'm like, okay, but you just said like two chapters ago that Morwen should read this book because it gives them an idea of what the hell to do to their wives to make them happy in the bedroom. Mm. So make up your mind. But it's just like there's this weird puritanical undercutting all this great progress for Lady Sarah coming from not only the outside community but also within her marriage. Mm-hmm. And like she gives up writing for this guy and it's killing her Like because for her the creativity is necessary to kind of pull out because of all the crap going on in their mm-hmm. society. And, you know, like, she was basically a broodmare for her family, and that's why they stopped talking to her when she went and got married on her own. Again, to the third son of an earl, it's not like she went down in class. Let's let's put that out there right now. Because I want to point that out, because her dad and her mom make it seem like she married below her means or whatever. And, I mean, when you're still the son of a high peerage, you're not really stepping down. Mm. And he didn't even, like... He didn't even want to be a vicar. He didn't even want to have the vicarage. He didn't want to have any of that kind of responsibility. It wasn't what he wanted. And so then at the end, like, they used her money that she got for all of this, this writing, to open up, like, a book publisher. And I wanted to root for him, but I'm going, why would I root for you? You've done nothing for your wife this entire book. Mm-hmm. All you've done is belittle her and her work while simultaneously, like, telling your father that this is, like, a really important novel or this is a really important, you know, genre of books for for people to read because it gives them ideas on how to please their wives and how to create a, you know, stronger marriage, blah, 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 blah. It just... It it didn't click to me. And Mm. that's one reason I really didn't like him was he didn't click at all. Mm. Yeah, I I believe the... the, uh, Well, the typical FedEx breakup here... uh, I think it's supposed to be framed as him feeling betrayed because she didn't tell him. But at the same time, it still seems like an overblown reaction, considering that at that point he knows that they're both fans of the writing. And also, uh, there are things that he did not tell her, like, for instance, that he was supposed to be the one to find the uh, lady of dubious quality. And also he didn't tell her about that club thing. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the masquerade. Yeah, because yep. they met at a masquerade and he kissed this. He kissed what he assumed was a lady of dubious quality, which, of course, spoiler plot it was. But, like, they didn't know that it was each other. And so there was this huge. Eh. And so, like, he was holding on to, like, wanting to, like, screw the lady of dubious quality, but wanted to kind of. And, to live happily ever after with his wife and he couldn't marry the two ideas. It just. Oh, it fell flat. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I, I think I know it's supposed to be uh, the era and the draw and all, but I still feel like it, it trended a little bit too melodramatic at points. Well, I don't even think it's so much that it was melodramatic because this is <laughs> historical fiction's where I live most times when it comes to stuff. This and paranormal romance, but. <laughs> I just felt like it was just bleh. Mm, I can see that. Yeah, and yet I love Sarah Frampton. Like, if I could have an entire thing of just her viewpoints before she met this man, I would read that novella so fast that mm. I would, like, never stop. 
Like, I don't even need a, a happily ever after. It doesn't have to be a romance. I just want a freaking novella of, like, how she found this, what she found mm-hmm. this, like, the different things that she's taken in to find out what's going on. You know, all these really cool, important things that we don't get to learn about. Because we have to talk about Jeremy and his, you know, lazy butt. Mm. But I think that also brings us a little bit to the positives of the novel, of, of which there were some. For instance, I, I really like the framing device in that uh, each chapter begins with a, a snippet of, of uh, one of the Lady of Dubious Qualities uh, novels. Specifically, uh, I think it was The Highwayman's Seduction, they yes. called it. Seduction of the Highwayman or something like that, yeah. And what I liked about the framing device in particular is that it was um, asymmetrical to the plot. When things in there went well, they went bad in, in the actual plot and vice versa. Yeah, that was like a really good framing device, too. And I enjoyed listening to that part because I should note, guys, this is the first audiobook I've probably listened to in like ever because I don't <laughs> listen to audiobooks. I'm a speed reader, but I got the Jeez. audiobook so he and I <laughs> so he and I could actually like have a, a book to read together because you're not a reader for the most part. You're not against reading. You're just it's not like a obsession with you like it is with me. So I figured an audio book that was free would also help us because you're in Germany and I'm in Georgia and there's a huge difference in time mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So between my work schedule and your schedule and all this other stuff, like we could listen to the audio book between, which by the way, I totally got the, the like 1.25 because I was like, okay, hurry up. Um, <laughs> and it was nothing against, and it was nothing against the, the narrator the narrator was amazing. Like I loved her, but I just I needed it to hurry up so I could record because we recorded this once before, mm-hmm. and the company cut off the last seven minutes of mine, and there was a weird hollow echoey sound that I could not get out no matter how hard I tried. So this yeah. is take two. Hoping it goes better. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully I can you know do some stuff in Audacity to mirror down the the echo or whatever. But it just felt really. I don't know. I just wanted to go a little bit faster because I'm not an audiobook person. Mm. But I will say that the I think it was Libro.fm that I, that had it for free, and it happened to pass my timeline on the the, the day like two or three days past when I said, "Well, we need to read a book together," and mm-hmm. I so I can bring you on the show so people can see what it's like for us as a as a couple as well yeah. to see how our happily ever after is going because I talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, perfect. And then I was like. Oh, this is a virgin that writes erotic porn. <laughs> okay. Interesting introduction to the genre. It For the non-romance reader. Although you did tell me you read, what was it? The Courtesan book. Yeah, that, that, that was, wasn't really a romance as such, and not really erotica, but it was adjacent, I would say. In the company of the Courtesan, I think it was. Yeah. I can definitely see you uh, reading that. It's much better than Milan Kundera, right? <laughs> it was better suited to me than Kundera. <laughs> I should know, guys. When <laughs> about in 2014, I was taking my senior sims class in English, and I made him read um, *The Unbearable Lightness of Being*, which is a very heavy book for a non-reader. Mm. Yeah, un- unbearable longness of being. And I personally adored it because I wrote an entire thesis on it. But he, not so much. (laughs) 
Yeah, I was I, I was not a fan of the characters as such. And see, I was in, I was obsessed with how like fucked up they were. <laughs> it, it rang true to my to my personal experiences <laughs> in the world of Kitsch. So this was a very very different style of book. It's kind of like one end to the other, you know, like literary fiction versus genre. And so it it was a mm-hmm. yeah it was a thing. Yeah. Oh, uh, to get back to the book, uh, another thing that I actually liked about it was um, whenever the uh, dialogue sacked into uh, um, the idea of witty repartee, it actually flowed really, really well because I, I believe the author was quite apt at writing that kind of thing. Yeah, and you could definitely tell she was writing it almost for a reader, like almost for, not just like a reader like us, but like a reader, like a voice actress. You could definitely tell that she was thinking of it in that blocking to where it actually worked mm-hmm. versus some of the other parts that didn't. Maybe also considering a movie adaptation, honestly. That's true, too. I don't know if they could actually make an adaptation of this unless they put it on Hulu, but, you know, whatever. No, I mean, we live in the age of HBO and such. I was more thinking of Hulu when they're a harlot's show, <laughs> which is set in a brothel, so I was thinking that may actually mm-hmm. work really well, too. Mm. Oh, uh, another thing that I noticed about it is that there were a few uh, chance but not really chance meetings that would be right at home uh, in an old Hollywood screwball comedy. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing really depends on one's personal preferences. Oh, well, explain. Well, for instance, when they ran into each other at the bookshop, obviously they would both have a reason to be there, but they would not think that they both have a reason to be there, and it gave them once more, the opportunity to um, exchange, exchange repartee and get to know each other, while at the same time concealing the true reason to be there. And that strikes me as a very, very uh, screwball comedy sort of thing. Yeah, it definitely had like a, what, Kate Hepburn and Spencer Tracy type, mm-hmm. or maybe Lauren Bacall and Bogey. Definitely kind of fit in that, yeah. that 1940s screwball. Yeah, because it really wasn't Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. <laughs> Maybe early Lucille Ball, though. Hmm. But I was just always more of a Lauren Bacall fan. Yeah. What else did you notice in the book? Oh, uh, I also found it interesting that uh, the search for the Lady of Dubious Quality doesn't really have any red herrings established. He, he doesn't really follow any false leads or anything like that. Basically, every move that he makes is uh, already right on the money. Well, no, that's not entirely true. Because if you remember, was it the the publisher? Remember, the publisher wouldn't tell him who did it. No, not the publisher, the, the book guy. The book guy wouldn't tell him neither did the publisher. And they sent the letter to her ahead of time, to, uh, right after the letter. No. Hmm. Still but a- he was trying to find it. But it was it was solved a little bit quickly, I think. Yeah. Also, uh, still, it, w- it was a move in the right direction. He he had no false leads. He he didn't uh, think of anybody wrong that could be the lady of dubious quality. And usually, usually in that kind of narrative, I would expect at least one or two false positives. Yeah, you're right about that. Because I mean, usually when, again, I read a lot of historical romances, and usually in them, there's usually at least like one person where they don't think, or there's one like. Something that doesn't work, but then it all turns out to work out really well. Mm. 
Because, I mean, like, in this genre, I really wish we could have gotten After the Wedding for you and I because I think that you would have really enjoyed it. It's, it's a Courtney Milan. Yeah. And I think you would have really enjoyed it because I've talked to you about it. That's the one about the uh, the guy that's like half black and he's married to mm-hmm. this woman who's got who's a bisexual and there's all this kind of stuff to it because mm. I listened to it on Heaving Bosoms, I think, ah. and um, it was a definitely up our alley. But you know, it's kind of hard to to pin us both down where we can both afford something because neither one of us are rich people. Yeah. So this is kind of like a great solution, which is not, which, let me rephrase this right now. I'm not saying anything against uh, Evil Lee. I'm not. I'm just saying that, like, I probably should have started you with something that wasn't quite so, quite so erotic <laughs> as your first <laughs> line. Is that, I mean, I know you don't have a problem with it, but I think it would have given you a better look at the tropes if no, I'd given you something a little bit either. You know, a little bit lighter. Mm. But, um, or how to invert the trope so easily. Which is what Milan does a lot of. I also, and as you know, I love Tessa Dare, and I, I could read Joe Beverly until I'm blue in the face, and I'm still heartbroken that she died because she mm. was one of my favorite writers in the genre. Uh, that's a shame. I mean, because you know, I've talked about Ruthgar and all kinds of people. Mm. Um, but it, it was kind of like a interesting introduction, and it kind of maybe would have been better to give you something that was more um, I'm not going to say paid by numbers because that's not what I mean but something that had a little bit easier something more typical yeah something more typical and something that you know you find more easily I mean because like we could have gone and gotten a book off of Amazon but Amazon here free does not mean Amazon there free yeah unfortunately also Amazon it's a good thing to avoid these days if possible True enough, but actually I know a lot of self-published authors that kind of depend on Amazon just because of the the uh, large uh, yeah, the large uh, money backing. Yeah. It makes it much easier when you've got a huge platform like that to get across to readers. Mm. Okay. So, did you enjoy any of the sexy scenes? Uh, sorry, could you repeat the question? Sorry. Did you enjoy any of the sexy scenes? I, th- I think some were, some were pretty good. But what I, what I appreciated was like um, this is big spoilers, but I mean we're already right then. The the the, the scene of the wedding night and their first penetrative intercourse, where uh, they had all these big expectations, and then he, he was was way too excited and finished up way too soon, and. That's a nice realistic element, and I like particularly about that that they pick themselves back up and then try it again, which is kind of like how real life should go. It's Agreed. How, how people should treat each other. Agreed. Very much agree with that, because it's kind of nice not to see it go perfectly the first time, but there are mishaps and there are issues. and I mean, it doesn't matter if you're with your husband or you're just with your first time, or it doesn't matter. It's just a it's kind of important to see that sometimes to see yeah. the the reality of two people that don't know each other sexually learning how to communicate and how to talk and how to have their their ideas mm. and of course we talked about it on, on the way back from the doctor but my favorite scene was the role playing scene over by the creek 
or the river or whatever it was. The role-playing scene about the, the lumberjack yeah. or whatever he was. I think it was supposed to be farmhand or something like that. There you go. That's what I was thinking lumberjack because I'm from America. So for me, I was thinking <laughs> of Paul Bunyan for some unknown reason. Well, that, that would be a little bit too much to take, I think. That would entirely depend. Some guys <laughs> have got small dicks, honey. They can be big men with small dicks. Somebody needs to draw that now. I'm pretty sure you can find it everywhere. <laughs> no, I just, just mean specifically Paul Bunyan with a normal sized dick. It would be kind of hilarious. Oh, like I said, I'm sure you can find it everywhere. What is it, Rule 34? <laughs> Point. And let's see, what else? Like, would you reread a. Well, let me rephrase that. Would you re listen to this book? I think so, after a little while. Um, again, there's some very good positive points about it, and uh, I like that um, uh, the writer Eva Lee uh, actually uh, established why the protagonist has this uh, romance novel body type with the rippling muscles, because it's because he goes for a swim every morning, and that kind of satisfies one of my pet peeves in which uh, in novels and movies and all that kind of stuff, People are supermodel body types and rippling have rippling muscles and are toned, even though they're supposed to be like uh, unsporting nerds who do an office job, and it never makes sense. And I like that she thought of that and established why he actually is muscular. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. I'd actually miss that because I was, to be fair to everybody, I was listening to this while I was driving too. So <laughs> sometimes living where I live, it's in Metro Atlanta, it's easier to pay attention to the road rather than what's going on in the background. But you're right, I had missed that at first. I actually had to go back and re-listen to it to find that. Mm. When you mentioned it earlier, when you mentioned it, even before the first recording, when you mentioned it when we were talking about it. Yeah. Because, again, we tried not to talk about it too much so we could talk about it in here and we could kind of mm -hmm. communicate and give you guys a, a real view of, of an introduction to the genre. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy, that was introduction to the genre. <laughs> and did you like the author? Like, did, did you like... How she, I mean, besides like the characterizations of like the, the body and stuff, but did you like her? Um, did you like her as not just an author, but like how she created the world, like as a world builder, I guess I should say? I don't think she definitely has a strong suits, and uh, I think this, this, I don't even think she did a lot wrong with this book, it's just that it could have used uh, like one more editing sweep and rewrite. And, but, but generally, I, I, I do like a lot of her writing. I like her voice. I like uh, the way she does dialogue above all. And um, I also like how she um, does give characters different ways of speaking, which is something many authors uh, actually tend to neglect. And see, I liked her because the bookstore reminded me of Diagon Alley from Harry Potter. <laughs> That's that too. Well, I mean, when she talked about it, like, this is one thing I definitely remember is, is like, it, like there was little piles of books and little things. And so in my mind, it was like a mile long book, <coughs> a mile long book shop type thing. Mm. And I was like, I like this. This is good. <laughs> there is a certain uh, romanticized way that a lot of authors like to write about bookstores and uh, libraries. Which makes me, the book nerd, very, very happy. 
Also ties into uh, how one of my favorite writers, Terry Pratchett, likes to refer to libraries and bookstores, being that um, I'm going to quote this silly equation here. Uh, reading is knowledge. Knowledge is power. Power is mass. And a lot of mass bends time and space, so all libraries are connected by black holes. Which actually can relate to Doctor Who in that stupid library. Oh, certainly. But also, also there is a uh, Linda Wisdom writes some great PNR for witches, mm-hmm. and she's got like at one point she's charmed her bunny slippers to be like alive. Anyway, but there's a library, and like trying to get to the library is a very difficult task, and the librarian has to like you, and oh. the librarian does not like jazz. The, the lead character at all and so she has to have other friends go to the library for her for the most part hmm. so there's there's definitely that uh, idea of knowledge is power mm-hmm. and like the, the library is amazing I, I hadn't even thought about that library in forever until you mentioned that but hmm. it was one of my it's one of, it was one of my favorite books for a really long time because of that library <laughs> like that was just a winning that was a winning lock for me it was this library of doom <laughs> Because it's like huge, it's like it, it's and it's between space and time, so mm-hmm. there is no real real place. Anyway, I, I think that mm-hmm. I think this kind of self-referential uh, nature is something that uh, novels will always have uh, over movies, because uh, it makes for a good scene to have a character in a novel go to a bookstore or a library and, and read something, but it makes for a terrible scene in a movie for somebody to go to a movie theater. Not necessarily. There is a scene in The Holiday with Kate Winslet and Cameron Diaz where Jack Black takes Kate Winslet's character to a movie store and they start playing like a game. Like He starts humming the theme or whatever because that's what he does. He's a composer from movies and stuff. And I guess commercials or whatever. And he actually does a really good job of, of doing the, you know, like the different noises and stuff and like so sometimes it can work, but it has to hmm. work in a way that makes sense. Because you know me, yeah. I read, I watch so many rom coms. It's, <laughs> I have a Hallmark obsession. People, I don't, I haven't shown it on the podcast, but I have a really big Hallmark obsession when I have the channel. Right now, I don't have the channel because that side of my house doesn't have any power. Hmm. But when I have it, I watch it and watch it and watch it some more because <laughs> I love me a good rom com. I watch all of them. Especially during the especially during the winter, mm. or sometimes a not so good rom com that is still pleasant to watch. True enough. Or we listen to podcasts like when I made you listen to um, the Cutaways podcast on uh, on the line, the In Sync Vehicle of Doom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was a thing. <laughs> hey, I could always let you go back to listening to 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 the thing. The Alien Menage Trois. Maybe you should read that book sometime. (laughs) I'm not giving you any ideas. I have a first cousin. I'm not going to cousin fuck. Sorry. Neither am I. (laughs) Well, you're not connected to any of your cousins, so that makes it a little bit easier. I'm not sure if I have cousins. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I guarantee you have cousins because the branches just don't stop because you're there. That's true. I'm just saying I I could not tell you if I do. Yeah, oh, I know, because you've got that whole backstory. Oh, he's got an interesting backstory, but we're not going to go into it today. I have, like, ten interesting backstories. <laughs> Some of them we won't put on the podcast. <laughs> anyway, um, but, 
you know, there's there's this idea of I kind of introduce them to different things that we do in Romancelandia by using the podcast because I can give them and say, okay, listen to this or listen to this, and he can get an idea of what interests me, so he can, you know. If he sees something that's very interesting or very relevant to my interest, he can send it to me. He's sending me stuff on Twitter all the time, especially when I'm at work. So when I get done with work, I can just go and just read all the the tweets, uh, all the like direct messages. But it's interesting yeah. because he also gave me his book of small gods, which he loves and adores. And he gave it to me because when we were first together, I would get sick. And I'm a diabetic, so sometimes my insulin and everything goes really low, and it goes really high, and it's this huge thing. And we were when we were first together, I had actually um, had diabetic acidosis about a year before we met, and so I was still somewhat recovering. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time for your body to recover from that kind of brutality to your body, and I would kind of have issues like my immune system was really compromised, so I'd get, get sick really easy. And he would read to me through Skype. He would read to me. And I would kind of get to hear his voice and I could see the characters. And so I've still got it. I haven't finished it because I won't finish it until we're together. But it kind of keeps us together. And kind of like where I am now, we, uh, my sister-in-law gave me these great mugs. It says his and hers. And he gave it to us when he was here one year for Christmas. And I still use the his mug and never the her mug because mm-hmm. this is his mug and I want to use it all the time. So it's little things like this that kind of let us understand where we are and, and what interests are. are. So, you know, it kind of works out. Kind of like I read a Discworld novel because I know he enjoys them. I read The Postman. I think that's the name of it. Uh, it was really interesting. I loved it. I, I just haven't read a lot of Terry Pratchett because I'd rather just go to his library and get them for free because <laughs> he's got quite a few. Mm-hmm. So I can just wait on that. But speaking of that, what other authors do you read besides Pratchett? I know you love Discworld. Like, your love of Discworld is so epic that I wrote an article about when Terry Pratchett died because you loved it. Mm. So, and I also went to the Dragon Con Terry Pratchett thing afterwards just to kind of go for you since you couldn't go. So I know yeah. that you enjoy Discworld, but what else do you enjoy? Um, again, uh, I, I need a, a broader palette of, of, of uh, authors that I read. But one of the authors I read... Uh, a bit more these past three years was Charlie Strauss, uh, more specifically his uh, Laundry Files novels, which is, <laughs> well, if you count the, the, the Roman subplots, it also has, also has a little bit of supernatural romance, if you come to think about it. Expand. Because uh, the Laundry Files novels are actually about a, a secret agency uh, that investigates and controls paranormal incidences with a heavy dose of Lovecraftian lore. And the protagonist is... is um, ah, I forgot the, the name, but uh, the protagonist is one of the agents, and there's a secondary protagonist who is actually his wife. And he met her in the first novel, and as the series goes on, there was at least one book that was entirely from her point of view, where she was the protagonist. And, and their, their love life has been expanded upon a little bit and they went into their, their, their past relationships and, their fu- and where the future may take them and there's quite a bit of that in there too which makes me happy because it means you read some subplots with romance it's just not your major genre yeah, definitely but I will make you read more because we're going to have more of these on the podcast 
All right. I haven't decided what the other one yet is. God help you. Who knows what I'm going to decide. Whatever ones I can find for free that we can both read. Whatever it is, I'm looking forward to it. I know. Make face. In case anyone's wondering, it's because I'm trying to learn German so I can move over there. So I try and kind of throw it in when I can. And she's getting very good at it. (laughs) He's also very proud of me. I don't know if you guys have picked up on that, but it's Hell yeah, I am. He calls me research queen, guys. This is, this, is. this is why I tell people to go to the podcast website because I've started to make little like podcasty things. And when I did uh, Dear Mr. Weaver on the last episode, I <laughs> have like 1,800 words or so <laughs> in a blog post about mail order writing. So, you know, it's a thing, you guys. <laughs> it was a great read to it. You hit on a totally different point from the actual audio podcast. Which is kind of the point, which is why I try and do it. Kind of like for this one, I, I, I did the podcast one for this one already um, because I thought this one was going to go live yeah. before Dear Mr. Weaver. And so I you know went ahead and put it together and it's got some interesting links to different places and different things you can find. Like the the differences between the the Regency era, which weirdly enough according to oxford is from like 1660 until like 1830 or whenever queen victoria went into power when the victorian era came in very wide range mm-hmm. overlaps with some yeah but so you know it's got some com- got some links to get there and find something fun and and learn a little bit you have to have access to the to the sites which is why i couldn't link to too much but i tried to find other sites as well it was just kind of difficult to find the erotica without, you know, finding erotica. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, but I did a little bit of that digging up for y'all. And then, yeah. of course, every episode has got the features podcast. And then I've got, like, little information on there. <laughs> He's very proud of me. What can I tell you? Um, but that, that's kind of what I do. I just kind of make it a little bit easier for y'all. And find something that's a little bit better and a little bit easier to, to kind of maybe give you a little bit more of a look that you weren't necessarily expecting to find. Mm-hmm. I've, and I'm going to go, by the way, I'm going to go back and do the the, last, the first three episodes. I'm also going to do those as well. It's just going to take a little bit of time because I have to kind of balance everything right now because mm-hmm. I work retail and that doesn't always have a consistent schedule. Mm-hmm. But Research Queen will research as always. <laughs> okay. Thank goodness. <laughs> so, do you have any final words? Um. Yes. Uh, there are a few things that I learned from this book. Yes. First of all, being uh, swimming is good for your physique. Then there is ask questions, answer honestly, always. <laughs> And there's also the the age-old and tried-and-true proven uh, screed of um, get over yourself sometimes. <laughs> you guys, just, just get over yourself sometimes. It helps so much. <laughs> Creates a better happily ever after, too. Hell yeah. And then you don't get like a 90% suckage readings. <laughs> oh, yes. That was not a, that was, there was no like subtweeting there. That was just straight out. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so my ending is don't be afraid to write what you want to write and don't feel ashamed of it because there's an audience for it and you don't have to be popular to have an audience. People like me love to read books and we love to have things that we enjoy, but we also, like, I constantly retweet stuff on Damsels. Even if I don't read it, I retweet it because I want other people to find it. And I know that there's an audience there and the idea is to build the audience and make it a little bit stronger. Mm-hmm. So that's my thing, like, Lady Sarah was, like, shamed into doing what she did. Like, you know, Jeremy shamed her, and then her parents and her mom would have completely shamed her and then locked her in the bedroom and never let her out again, which would have been a Tessa Dare novel at that point. But anyway, <laughs> um, just don't be ashamed of it, because just yeah. because it's there doesn't mean that someone's going to hate it. Mm-hmm. And now, you may go. And I may go. And then I'll do my little ditties, and then in a couple of weeks, this will go live. I'm very much looking forward to that. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Good. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for dealing with, like, the weirdness that is us. <laughs> Not you. Oh, and by the way, you can find him. You can find Sven on Creature underscore sh on twitter he's who i'm constantly twittering about and you can find me at damsels podcast on twitter i'm on gmail with the same thing and i'm on wordpress and there's a there is a facebook page but i always forget about it so oops it's facebook who cares right but, I mean, I, I just I forget the page exists because I mostly use it because the Lady Pod Squad is awesome and it's for women podcasters and so I use the group function more than anything. Alright. So, he will return at some point. I'm going to yeah. skedaddle off and then you guys can have an amazing, amazing week. Thanks, guys. Bye. This week's podcast features romance romp with Keeney. Anyone that knows Keeney knows that she's got some great interviews. That she's always got a different take on things. Being in Washington, D.C., Maryland area without being in Washington, D.C., Maryland area. She's got a lot of intelligence. She's got a lot of knowledge. She's got guests from... Various forms, be it YA romance, be it, you know, ones that write more historical, you name it. She's probably talked about it, which I think is amazing, by the way. Everyone should be talking about that. But mostly Keeney is just awesome in general. If you follow her on Twitter at K-I-N-I-L-E-I-1 or Romance Romp, 
So you'll find a lot of quirkiness. You'll find someone that enjoys life. And you'll find someone that can wreck a book like you couldn't believe, but will also absolutely give new authors a chance. You want to be included. You want to be part of it. And Keeney does an absolutely fantastic job of making sure that names get recognized. And she's got a very powerful voice that she uses. So give her a chance. Listen to her. Then give her an A-plus rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening, everyone. And everyone that has listened, who has contacted me on Twitter, said that they're enjoying the podcast, I really, really appreciate that feedback. The feedback means a lot to me because my last podcast wasn't as well-known and not that many people listened to it, so it means a lot to me. And it shows that I'm doing something right. And that's always fun to know. If you could leave a feedback or a rating on iTunes, that would be great. But it's kind of not necessary because as long as you're listening and as long as you're enjoying it, I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try and have more guests now that I've kind of figured out that one platform is the ultimate no-no. Don't do it, but you have to re-record. And I also discovered that it's easier to kind of come up with your own solutions. So if you guys want to stick around... That would be awesome. I look forward to talking with you guys more. If you're an author and you want me to read the book and review it on here, I absolutely will. I enjoy that. I enjoy giving feedback, especially from a woman's point of view. You can catch me on at Damsel's Pond Cats for Twitter, Gmail, and of course the website, which I've mentioned like three times in the interview already today. But I really, really hope you guys just enjoy the, the show. That's it. If you guys enjoy it, that means more to me than anything. Thanks. <laughs>